Well, good morning, St. Barnabas. It is a great joy and a privilege to be with you this morning. Let me introduce myself. My name is Tom. I'm one of the staff members with the Christian Union at UWA. So I get the great joy of being in Christian ministry as a Bible teacher and a discipler, but I get to do it Monday to Friday, which is a wonderful way to do it. Well, this week, our team of students have been working in partnership with St. Barnabas, with you, to spread the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, to the surrounding suburb. And so I want to firstly say a huge thank you to you as a church for the way that you have partnered with us, for the way you have supported us, uh, for the many people who have hosted us and looked after us this week. Now, I myself am a visitor to this church, but I also want to just say a quick welcome to any of you who might be visitors here at church this morning. Uh, Perhaps you were here because a friend invited you. Perhaps you were here because one of our team members came and knocked on your door and gave you an invitation over the past few days. Over the past few days, our team has been going around door knocking around the suburb, inviting anyone and everyone to come to church so that you could hear the message of Jesus Christ. Now, we are very aware that door knocking is a very weird thing to do in our day and age. Our team has really had to step out of their comfort zone to go onto somebody else's turf, to knock on their door and to invite them to church. But the reason we're willing to go out of our comfort zone and do this is because we are convinced that the message of Jesus Christ needs to be heard by everyone. Not just people who are interested in religion. Not just people whose lives are a mess and feel like they need some higher power to get their life back together. The message of Jesus Christ needs to be heard by everyone. And so for that reason, we're willing to step out of our comfort zones to invite everyone in West Leaderville to come and hear the message of Jesus. But now, just as we have stepped out of our comfort zones, I also recognize that for any visitors who are here today, that you have had to step out of your comfort zone to come into this very unfamiliar environment. I want to say thank you for doing that. And it's my hope and prayer for you that it will be worth the risk of venturing into this strange place. We have a lesson now from the second of those two Bible readings that were read for us from the book of Ephesians, that letter written by the Apostle Paul. And our lesson today is built around three points. Point one, our sin has made God angry with us. Point two, God has shown us love and mercy. And point three, that God's gift of eternal life is on offer to everyone without exception. Now, the Christian message contains this wonderful, wonderful good news But it's good news that comes in the context of bad news. Because the good news is news all about a rescue mission. But there's nothing good about a rescue mission unless there is something that you need to be rescued from. So imagine you're sitting at home in your living room, you've got a nice drink in your hand, watching your favorite TV show, and then a fireman comes and kicks your door down grabs you and drags you out onto the road. If there's no fire, there is nothing good about what the fireman has done. 
you probably just feel like you've been assaulted. But if your house is burning down and you are trapped, then the intrusion of that fireman is indeed wonderful, wonderful good news. And so before we can appreciate the good news of Jesus Christ, we first need to appreciate the danger that we are already in. What is the danger that we need to be rescued from? Because if you do not think that there is a danger, then you will see Jesus as an unwelcome intruder into your life. But if you realize that you are in danger, then all of a sudden we see Jesus as this wonderful, wonderful rescuer. And so our point one is this, that our sin has made God angry with us. The opening section of our Bible reading from Ephesians paints a very dark picture. It's a very bleak picture of the human condition. It begins in verse 1 by describing people without Jesus as dead in transgressions and sins. Now, this description obviously cannot refer to being physically dead. Rather, it's being dead in a spiritual sense. So imagine an instance of a very painful conflict, perhaps a very painful divorce kind of scenario. Two parties who once loved each other, now wanting nothing to do with each other, never wanting to see each other, no interaction whatsoever. And you might hear people in that situation use a phrase like this. That person is dead to me. Well, the Bible speaks often about humanity's rebellion against God. God didn't push us away. We are the ones who pushed God away. We suppress all talk about God. We refuse to acknowledge him. We don't want anything to do with him. And so from that spiritual point of view, God is dead to us. And so in response, we are dead to God. In verse 2, we are also described as following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, this ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's just a fancy way of describing the devil. Satan, the source of all evil and temptation. Now, to be called a follower of the devil, that's fighting words. The Apostle Paul is not being polite at this point. However, this does not mean that all of us are antisocial or mass murderers or unpleasant people. But if we live a life that ignores God, that refuses to honour and love him as God, then even your good, moral and socially acceptable life is leading down a path that takes you away from God. And that's exactly where the devil wants to lead you. In our first Bible reading from Mark chapter 12, we heard Jesus say that the greatest of all the commandments is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. See, no matter how civilized, no matter how friendly you might be, if we do not love and honour God as God, then we have rebelled against the purpose for which we were created. 
See, the devil doesn't care if you are a nice person or a nasty person. All he wants to do is lead you away from love and honour of God. Finally, in verse 3, we see the resulting situation that we are left in. Verse 3 tells us that we are deserving of God's wrath. God is angry with us, and rightly so. We have refused to love him and honour him, and we have filled the world with all kinds of evil and rebellion and injustice. And so God in his anger has set a day in the future when he will judge the world. He will hold us accountable for the lives that we have lived. And all of us are guilty of rebellion. All of us are deserving of his anger and his condemnation. And so point one is that our sin has made God angry with us. We are in danger. The house is burning down. We need a rescuer. And so in that bleak context, we now come to the good news. Our point two is that God has shown us love and mercy. Follow along in your Bibles as I read verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 say, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Well, we have just seen that God is the one that we need to be rescued from. But who is capable of rescuing anybody from God? Is there anyone who can overpower God to rescue us? Anyone who can outsmart God to rescue us? Anyone who could bargain with God to rescue us? No, the only hope that we have is if God himself takes mercy shows mercy to us. And the good news is that that is exactly what God has done. It is that very God that we have offended who is the same one who responds to rescue us so that we might be rescued from his own wrath and judgment. Because you see, God is not the kind of God who enjoys punishing people. God takes no pleasure in the condemnation of sinners. But God is rich in mercy. He does take pleasure. He delights to show love and mercy and forgiveness and to treat us better than we deserve. Now, this kindness of God, it is grounded in a historical event and it is a historical event that has radical implications for us. In order to save us, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And yet when Jesus came, he was brutally executed, crucified, hung to die. It only shows all the more how serious our rebellion against God is. It doesn't get any worse than to crucify the Son of God. This was no accident. The death of Jesus was an intentional part of God's rescue plan. Jesus' death was a voluntary act of love where he swapped places with us. He takes the punishment that we ought to have paid. 
He has taken the bullet for us. And then, perhaps the biggest and greatest claim of the entire Bible is that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, if this is true, this event, this resurrection of Jesus, has enormous implications for us. Because if God can bring Jesus back from the dead, then he can do the same thing for you and me. He can give us life from the dead. That's exactly what he has promised to do. But this works on two levels. There are two ways that he gives life back to the dead. We saw back in verse 1, the description of people apart from Jesus as being dead in our sins and transgressions, that is, spiritually dead. But the believer in Jesus has now been made spiritually alive. The believer in Jesus no longer views God as dead to them, and now God no longer views us as dead to him. We are reconciled. We are restored to a relationship of mutual love between us and God. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have already been made alive in that sense. But there is a second sense in which God gives life to the dead. See, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was not a spiritual resurrection. It was not just some reconciliation thing going on. No, Jesus died physically. His heart stopped beating. He stopped breathing. He was buried in a hole for two days. But when Christ came back from the dead, he was raised physically with a new body. He could breathe. His heart pumped. People could touch him. He could eat food. He was resurrected. Now, in the same way, the promise of the Bible is that God is going to raise us from the dead as well. On the last day, the judgment day when Jesus returns, we too will receive new bodies raised from the dead. Not just so that we can live for another 80 or 90 years, but so that we might live forever to enjoy eternal life, enjoying the love of God and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so the kindness which God shows to us has benefits both for the present and for a future eternal life. You can see in your passage in verse 5, it speaks that we are already made alive. And then in verse 7, that in the coming ages, we will receive the full extent of God's love and mercy to us. And so our point too is that God has shown us love and mercy. And he's done this through the rescue mission of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, point three. God's free gift of eternal life is on offer to everyone. Again, follow along with me as I read from verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9 say, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This free gift of God is available to all. However, not all people are going to receive it. Not everybody will enjoy the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. Now, it is only those who respond to Jesus in the appropriate way. 
Now, unfortunately, most people have a wrong assumption about what that response is. The common assumption is that you will receive eternal life by doing good works. If you are good enough, if you can earn it, if you can deserve it, then you will receive eternal life. But this passage of the Bible tells us that that assumption is totally and utterly wrong. Our Bible reading today shows that we are saved by the grace, the mercy of God. See, it is not what you must do to be saved, but what Jesus has done. Let me repeat that line. It is not what you must do, but what Jesus has done. Verse 8 tells us, it is by grace you have been saved, and it is not from yourself, but it is the gift of God. Now, the word grace, it's one of those Christian jargon words that we throw around. You never really use that word outside of a church context. So I'd like to give you an example of grace, to paint a picture for you of what grace looks like. There's this wonderful example in the story of Les Mis. Some of you may have read the novel. Uh, more likely, you've seen one of the many films that have been made. Or perhaps you've seen the stage musical or even the film musical. But it is a story based in France about a hardened criminal by the name of Jean Valjean. He had recently been released after serving his time for his crimes but once he was released, he had nowhere to go, nothing to do, no way to make a living. And so a bishop of the church, this very high-ranking Christian leader, took pity on him and welcomed him into his home, fed him a good meal, gave him a bed to sleep on and took care of his needs. But then in the middle of the night, Valjean got up and he stole all of the silver cutlery worth a great sum of money, and fled off into the night. The next morning, the bishop woke up, discovered that he had been betrayed and robbed. But then he heard a knock at the door. When he opens the door, there was a group of soldiers holding his bag of cutlery and Jean Valjean. He had been caught. He had been brought back. Valjean would now face an almost certain execution for his crimes. But then the bishop did something shocking, something startling. It, it astonished the soldiers and it astonished Jean Valjean. See, instead of thanking the soldiers for bringing his cutlery back, he, he tells them off and instead says, I gave that cutlery to him as a gift. Why have you brought him back? Oh, but nonetheless, he did thank the guards because he said in his, in his haste, he was in such a hurry that he left behind another gift that I intended to give him. And he walked away. And he came back with two very large candlesticks. Now, this church is old enough, you still have some candlesticks around. I could use a, use a visual demonstration. 
But the bishop's candlesticks were solid silver. Each one would have been worth even more than all of the cutlery that had been stolen. And he says to Valjean, you left in such a hurry. You forgot that I have given you these as well. Now, of course, the soldiers are shocked. They have no choice now but to let Valjean go free. And not only to keep all the cutlery, but to take the candlesticks as well, worth a small fortune. Valjean did not earn his salvation. He did nothing to deserve the bishop's kindness. It was a free gift. It was an act of mercy, of generosity. Even though the bishop himself was the one who had been robbed, he was the one who intervened and lovingly rescued Valjean from the certain death he otherwise would have faced. He saved his life by giving a very costly gift. Now, friends, this is exactly what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Just like Valjean, we deserve to face punishment, to be put to death for our rebellion against God. But instead, God has responded in love to rescue us by giving a very costly gift The bishop's candlesticks cost a lot of money. It was a very costly gift. But God has given us the gift of his son, his one and only son who he loves with all his heart, and yet giving him over to die to save us. That is a far more costly gift. But just like the gift of those candlesticks, It was a gift that resulted in freedom and rescue to those who would otherwise perish. So what must we do to receive that gift? What is our response? Again, we see in verse 8 the words, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Two small words, through faith. Those two little words are a shorthand way of saying that we receive this gift of God by putting our faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. The word faith is often misunderstood to mean a blind leap in the dark. I don't think a blind leap in the dark is what the Bible means by faith. Blind leaps in the dark are generally not very advisable. It's usually somewhat dangerous. Rather, when the Bible speaks about faith, it means that we are to put our trust, put our confidence upon Jesus. It is a confidence that will lead us to entrust our life to his care, to entrust our life to him as our Lord and ruler, to govern and direct our life, and to entrust our life to him as our saviour, with confidence that he can in fact rescue us from God's judgment and give us the life to come. Now, Jesus has made the promise that he will give this gift to every person who would come to him in faith. It doesn't matter if you are a good person or not. It doesn't matter what culture you are from. It doesn't matter what religious background you might have. God's promise is that everyone who will trust in Jesus will receive this gift for free, no matter who you are, 
no matter what you have done. And so we see that God's free gift of eternal life is on offer to everyone. Now this past week, our team has gone around West Leaderville door knocking, inviting everyone so that they could come and hear this message of God's love and mercy. We did not do it for fun, I can tell you that. We didn't do it because we were a bit too socially unaware to realise that people generally don't like door knockers. We did it because we are convinced that this is a message that must be heard by everyone, whether they are interested or not. Humanity is sitting in a burning house, either unaware or refusing to believe that there is any danger. God in his love has provided a rescuer by sending his son Jesus Christ to die for us and open the way for us. But we must respond in faith, faith in Jesus Christ, so that we might receive that gift of mercy. Receiving this gift is not as easy as you might think, though. It requires humility. We're told it is by grace and not by work so that no one can boast. It requires us to admit our helplessness. But this grace and this mercy, this kindness of God, is such a wonderful gift. It's too good to refuse. Let me close for us now in a word of prayer, asking for God to help us uh, as a church and for those in our wider community to know and love this Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer. And we ask for your favour upon anyone who has come to visit our church today. We pray that they would know your great love and kindness towards them. Thank you that they have stepped out of their comfort zone to be here. Father, please give us all courage to go even further outside of our comfort zones to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our life. Father, for the many residents of West Leaderville who have not heard this message, we pray that the message would go out, that they would hear it and hear it soon. And Father, for all of us who know and love you, who have received your gift, Father, please give us humble hearts that we would never look down upon others but treat others around us with that same love and kindness that you have shown to us. And we ask all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.